This broadcast has been brought to you by Wesley United Methodist Church. For more information, see our webpage at wesleyumc.com. This morning's sermon is going to require an amen team. You know what an amen team is? Amen. Amen. We got one. But I think that that's a pastor back there that just said amen. I need an amen team. Y'all get what I'm saying? Okay, we'll, we'll, keep, we'll practice that because this is an amen sort of sermon, right? This is one where I'm going to need an amen team. Is your soul awake this morning? Are you alive with the things of God? I hope so. I hope so. But I, I hope so. At the end of the sermon, you will find a greater passion and reason to be alive with the things of God. We're reading this morning from the Gospel of Mark in the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Mark. So hear the word of the Lord. When Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him. And so he stayed by the seashore. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and on seeing him fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. And he went off with them, and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. I want you to imagine yourself in this scene that takes place. There's a sea, and you're on the seashore. And here comes a boat. You've been waiting. You know Jesus is coming. And you're in this large crowd, and Jesus steps out, of the boat onto the seashore from one sea to another. There's a sea of people around you. And you're all gathered to see the healer, to see the great physician. There's there's needs all around you. You have needs, your neighbor has needs, everybody has needs. You're in a crowd full of people hungry for a healer. And all of a sudden there's there's a little bit of commotion to your back right. And you turn and you see Jairus. You know Jairus. It's a synagogue official. It's a leader uh, of of the Jewish religion, which is your faith, right? We're in this this crowd of Jewish people on the seashore waiting for Jesus. And Jairus comes up, begins pushing through the crowd with some of his servants behind him. And he's got this distressed look on his face. So you know something's wrong. And he's desperately pushing to the crowd as he pushes right past you and he gets right to Jesus. And he falls at Jesus' feet. This is a complete, uh, um, this high reputation man risks it all. He throws everything at the feet of Jesus, uh, almost looking foolish, socially looking foolish, throwing himself at the feet of Jesus, begging Jesus to come heal his daughter. And Jesus begins following Jairus. And, And swept up in the crowd, you begin walking along with following Jesus, uh, who is following Jairus. So let's keep on reading as the text continues. This is verse 20, 25 of, or 24 uh, of chapter 5 of Mark. And he went off with them, and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. Now hear what happens as the crowd's going along. A woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians... And it's been all that she had, it was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him 
and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. And immediately the flow of, of, the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. So picturing ourselves with the crowd, we're walking along, and all of a sudden, there's another commotion to, to the back of you. And people are getting out of the way. People are making uh, loud, negative, jeering noises. And you turn, and, and just as you turn, you notice standing right here, she's passing right by you, is the unnamed woman, the one that nobody wants to touch, the one that's considered impure, the one that's barred from the religion, from, from the religion of the day because of her impurities. And she comes right past you, and she brushes against your left arm as she keeps moving. And you glance down at your left arm because... You've been wanting healing as well, right? You're in a crowd full of people wanting healing, and now you're impure. How, how are you going to be healed by the rabbi that you're following? Now, you can't get close to the pure rabbi, and yet the woman keeps moving through the crowd closer and closer and closer to Jesus until she too falls at his feet, just to touch the hem of his garment, just to touch the, the back part of his robe. And you know instantly, you can see it all over her face, that she's healed, that she's different. And you glance back down at your left arm, and you wonder, where's my healing? When my, when's my healing come? Listen to what Jesus did. This is verse 29. Immediately the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? What an odd, odd question, right? Who touched my garments? And the disciples, they pick up on the odd question. Verse 31, his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you. And, and you, you ask, who touched me? Oh, Jesus, there's a large crowd here. Of course, everybody's touching you. And Jesus looked around to see the woman who had done this. The woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And be healed of your affliction. The crowds. The crowds baffle me in this story of Mark. There's one more section to the story, but I can't help but pause and think about the crowds gathered that day. And you picture yourself in that crowd, one, one desiring healing. And Mark, Mark is, is, is one to talk about the power of Jesus. He's one to talk about the the, the strength of Jesus, the immediacy of, of how Jesus was there to heal. And yet these crowds, not a single one of them in this story, receive healing. Only, only Jairus captures the healer's attention. Only the woman receives healing. Crowds are touching. The disciples say, what do you mean who's touching you? Everybody's touching you, Jesus. Everybody's gathered around you. And yet there's a difference and the way that the woman seeking healing touched Jesus than the, the way that the crowds were touching Jesus. Let's keep on reading. Verse 35. 
While Jesus was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official, saying, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe. And he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. He gets the crowds out of the way. And they came to the house of the synagogue official, and he saw a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. And entering in, he said to them, Why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. Listen to what the crowds did then. They began laughing at him. But putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which translates means, little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk. The girl got up and began to walk. For she was 12 years old. And immediately they were completely astounded. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. And he said that something should be given to her to eat. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. The crowds, they get me, right? They get me. Because there they are waiting for healing. Waiting for healing. But all they're doing is getting in the way. All they're doing is getting in the way. There's a sea of people at the seashore that Jarius has to fight his way through. There's a sea of people walking through the town towards Jairus' home that the woman has to push herself through. And there's this, this loud commotion, this, this loud emotional display that is not amounting to the work that Jesus is doing. And, and they're in the way yet again. But three times Jesus says to Letha Kum, Talitha Kum, little girl, get up. I know the text says it once, but I want you to imagine this. Jairus throws himself at the feet of Jesus, and, and Jesus says, get up, my friend. Yes, I'll follow you. The, the woman throws himself at the feet of Jesus in desperation, and, and Jesus says, come on, let's stand up. The little girl, all hope seems lost. Little, little dead, she's dead, she's died. Twelve-year-old girl, Talitha Kum which translates into our common English, my sweet darling, rise. My sweet darling, rise. This is our Jesus. This is God, right? Reaching out with his grace, offering grace to all. The whole crowd had that grace offered to him, offered to them. But only three took the hand and rose. Only three took the hand and rose. I want you all to hear this quote from a man named Brother Lawrence. He's a 17th century church leader. Uh, Brother Lawrence wrote a great piece uh, that has stuck with the church for years called Practicing the Presence of God. This is what uh, Brother Lawrence writes, and, and, and I've reworded it. This is not his words, but uh, this is his words paraphrased to make it make more sense to us. God's treasure is like an infinite ocean. But even though God's grace has such breadth in such depth, and such length, a minuscule wave of religious sentiment 
passing with the moment satisfies us. And we leave believing that we have taken hold of God's grace. As blind as we are to the vastness of God, we fail to jump into the water and we more often hinder the currents of his grace than we do jump into the ocean. I love that quote. I love that quote. I want you to picture yourself once more on that seashore with Jesus. Picture yourself once more. God's grace is vast like an ocean. It's more dynamic than even the sea that you're out looking, you're looking at, right? And yet the gospel writer of Mark describes the crowds as just standing around, just waiting for God knows what to happen. See, we're all here. We're all here. All of us are here. Jesus is in our midst. I believe it. We can feel the breeze of God's grace. We can look around and see the smiles on all, all the faces, the anticipation of the things of God. And yet Jarius is the one who gets God's grace. Jarius is the one who gets the grace. And, and we, we pursue Christ into the world. We go out with him on mission to heal, to bring healing to the, the, the hopeless. We follow him into the streets. And yet it's the least of these pushes their way past and find the grace of God. Find the grace of God. See, there's something about reaching out and grabbing the grace of God. I want to ask you this morning, let me just ponder with me. Are you satisfied with a, a wave, just a small wave of religious sentiment? Or are you jumping into the ocean of God's grace? Are you taking fully, this is where the amen team comes in, right? I told y'all this is an amen sermon. Are you jumping fully into the things of God? Are you jumping fully into the ocean of God's grace? Listen to how Brother Lawrence continues. He says, but when God finds a soul permeated with a living faith, not that distant sort of faith satisfied with so little, when he finds this living faith, he pours into it his grace like a pent-up flood. The torrents of God's healing rush in, and the cup overflows. The cup overflows. See, that's the kind of faith I want. That's the kind of faith I want. I don't want to be satisfied with, with, with just an institution of Christianity. I don't want to be pacified with just a religious guise of holiness. I want Jesus. I want every bit of Jesus. I want a living faith. I want the kind of faith that gives me a reason to rise up every morning. I want something authentic that shakes me to the core, that gives me a purpose in life. That's the kind of faith that I desire. That's the kind of faith that Jesus offers the world. See, Jarius was wealthy, and the woman was poor. Jarius was a religious official. The woman was barred from the church. Jarius had a high reputation, and we don't even know the woman's name. It's not about where you come from. It's not about social status. It's not about reputation. It's not about history in, in the church. Finding the grace of God doesn't have to do with wealth or upbringing. 
having a vibrant relationship with God, a vibrant connection with God, does not depend upon religious pedigree. But I tell you what, finding the grace of God has everything to do with how you respond to God's free offer of grace, which he gives to people of all nations, all races, all ages, all social statuses. We must actively take hold of the grace that God is offering us. That outstretched hand, that's the grace of God. That outstretched hand, that's the grace of God. See, I have this desire burning in my heart. I want to be a people. I want to be a people who don't lack in power. I don't want to just have religion without the power of God. I don't want to just have religion without a passionate, inflamed heart for the things of God. I want a living faith. And I want to be part of a people of a living faith. Listen to these words from John Wesley. I'm not afraid that the people called Methodist should ever cease to exist in either Europe or America. But I am afraid lest they should only exist as a dead sect, having the form of religion without the power. My friends, it's not a hidden fact that the United Methodist Church as a whole is going through a rather difficult time. We're facing a lot of intense debates in the days ahead of us. But I join with Mr. Wesley in believing that the Methodist tradition has not seen its last days. I do not fear the end of the people called Methodist. But I also agree with Mr. Wesley that the beautiful values that define our Methodist heritage can easily get set aside if we cease to pursue Christ alone. If we only gather in the name of Christ to maintain an institution, then we've lost the entire meaning of this great pursuit that God has set us on. See, I don't want to have the form of religion without the power thereof. I want to be a man wholly consumed by the love of God. I want to be wholly consumed by love of God and love of neighbor. See, this is, this is the picture that we're provided in, in the Bible. This is what God says. A lawyer comes to Jesus, and the lawyer says, Jesus, you know, I've been studying the law. I, I have studied the things of God. I've been practicing the things of God since my youth. What, what do you say I, I, gotta, I, have to, I need to do to inherit the kingdom of God? And this is what Jesus says. All the commandments, all the prophets, all the teachers, all the things of God are summarized in these, these two commandments. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. On these hang everything. On these hang everything. With all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, Tell me that isn't a heart that's on fire for God. Tell me that's not a heart that's totally consumed with the things of God. See, I don't ask these questions this morning. I don't bring up these, these, these thoughts this morning for any condemnation at all. 
There's no condemnation. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm reflecting as I'm nearing my, the end of my time here at Wesley. I'm reflecting on what words I want to share, what words I want to get across. And I just can't leave without preaching about the core of religion, right? The core of it all. The core of it all is loving God with everything you've got. The core of it all is loving people with everything you got. Because here's what I want to point out. It wasn't those who just stood by waiting that received healing on that day in, in the Gospel of Mark. It wasn't those who were, who were just gathered in the crowd there, present. It was those who were risking all. It's those who were laying everything on the line. It's those who pursued God with everything they had. It's those that said, I'm going to risk it all. I'm going to throw myself at this pursuit of God just to see if God will catch me. And you know what? God caught them. There he met the crowds on the seashore. They gathered to see the power and the life of the great rabbi. They gathered as a body of believers and skeptics alike. They gathered in the name of God. And yet they just waited as Jesus stood there with open arms, ready to heal. Listen to this quote from the great philosopher Henry David Thoreau. I love Thoreau. Thoreau says some profound things. He wasn't necessarily a Christian man, but he sure does preach Christ. He says this, I don't wish to live what was not life. I wanted to live deep and suck out all the marrow of life. See, I don't want to get to the end of my life and discover that I have not truly lived. I don't want to just go by with the days. I want to live full in the things of God. And you know what? I know where life is found. I know where life is found. It's found at the feet of Jesus. It's found at the feet of Jesus. It's found in the Christ who stands among us. It's found in the God that we have gathered this morning to worship. It's found when we allow the Spirit of God to breathe life into our faith. See, I don't want a faith that merely gets me by. I want a living, active, vibrant faith. Is your soul alive with the things of God? Is your soul alive with the things of God? And what does it take to find such a faith? Find such a faith is simply a response. See, God's already offered everything we need. And we're gathered here for a reason. The Holy Spirit has gathered us in this place. Every single one of us have responded to the grace of God in some form or fashion. You know the grace of God. It takes responding with everything you have. To give God an honest chance in life. To throw yourself fully pursuing God and I guarantee you, you will taste and see that the Lord is so very good a story that I haven't shared with the Wesley congregation yet is one of my favorite stories in life I'm off the notes by now <laughs> but it's, it's about my life it's about uh, my pursuit of God and in, in, in coming into the things of God in around ninth grade year I was uh, deep in depression, deep in depression. I remember one night uh, contemplating life, contemplating life's purpose, contemplating 
what, what does this offer? What, what point is there in life? Every road seems like a dead end. Every road seems like a dead end. I was deep in depression, my friends. I was raised in the church, but I had never given myself fully to the things of God. I had never given myself fully to the things of God. But in that night, I had a choice because I knew where that depression was leading me. I knew where that depression was leading me. It was leading me further down. That choice was, God, I'm going to give you a chance. Because the other direction <laughs> was a non-choice. God, I'm going to give you a chance. I've never given you a chance. I'm not even sure if you're really there. But I will throw everything at you just to see if you'll catch me. I'll throw everything on the line just to see if you'll be there for me. That was the best decision of my life. That was the best decision of my life. My friends, I have so enjoyed my time here among you as the Wesley family. I'm here for four more weeks. I'm not, not goodbye today. I've so enjoyed my time. This congregation pursues Christ in ways that I have been so challenged. But I couldn't, I couldn't leave Wesley without preaching the sermon, without preaching of the, the core of it all core of religion. Wade and I were talking this morning about the sermon topic and, and, and what came up was, you know, it's so easy to miss the things of God. It's so easy to sit in, in the pew week after week after week, to go on the mission trip week after, month after month after month, to read the scripture even, and yet miss it all, and yet miss it all. See, I want my heart to be fully engaged in the things of God. Because there is where life is found. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Friends, will you all pray with me? Father, we are so thankful for the life that you have given us. We're so thankful for the fullness of life that you've given us. But Father, we so often stray. We so often miss the mark. Holy Spirit, blow your wind across this place that our hearts may be stirred again to a living faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our broadcast. This has been brought to you by Wesley United Methodist Church. For more information, see our webpage at wesleyumc.com.